Hey there, Jabronis. My name is Charlie, and I'm one of the hosts of Rock Talk, along with my buddy Jordan. First off, thanks for listening. Secondly, Rock Talk can be enjoyed in any order you want. We put out episodes every Thursday. But we suggest that you listen to the newest episodes first, and you could eventually work your way back to these early episodes if you want to see how this whole thing got started. Trust me, the newer ones are better in terms of audio quality, format, and frankly, my and Jordan's talent level. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the show. Hey there, and welcome back to Rock Talk, the show where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how you doing? Hey, buddy, I'm doing all right. What's going on? Not too much, just enjoying this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Things Here are... in D.C., it's been like raining all day. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Live to the nation's capital where everything is miserable in more ways than one. <laughs> so I thought, I thought though, you know, jumping in, we're, we're obviously talking about Fast and Furious 6 today. Uh, which is, it's one of our favorite movies. But I thought, you know, we have not mentioned yet why we're doing this podcast. So maybe we should break it down for everyone back at home about why we're even, uh, why we even decided to make Rock Talk in the first place. Yeah, uh, we've been thinking about putting together a podcast for a really long time. And we both love, especially the Fast and Furious movies. We love Dwayne Johnson. And uh, he started getting more pickup in the news about his potential run for president and i thought what better time than now to do a podcast about his movies yeah this this seemed like the best moment and there's really no better person to to do a podcast on this guy is a is a global celebrity he is a multi-billion dollar grossing actor uh internationally and and again the fact that there's there's polling coming out that says that he would win a presidential election if it were held today. I mean that's it's just astounding, and and this guy you know, for for me the history with The Rock leads back to being a kid watching WWF and, and yeah. Just, what was your first experience with The Rock? Did you know him like back in the day? Well, yes. Me and well, we grew up we grew up together. Me and me and Dwayne. <laughs> Probably the first time I ever encountered him was was I I went to SummerSlam as a kid. And he was oh one God. of the guests. It was, I guess, you know, it probably wasn't a surprise to most of the people there. But for me as a 12-year-old kid, The Rock showing up was unreal. And he was larger than life. He was funny. He, of, of course, destroyed everyone in the ring. And to me, I was just blown away by who this guy was and, you know, just the sheer massiveness of his personality. And then seeing him just, you know, not too long later in, in movies and realizing that, hey, this he's not just a, a wrestler. This guy is a, you know, a multi-talented actor. I thought that was the coolest thing, and and from then on, it's just it's been a little bit of a rock session. Yeah, I've uh, I guess I've had what the youths would call a man crush on him, pretty much <laughs> dating back to the time I was into WWF. Uh, I never went to an actual event or anything, but I played the video games on N sixty four, and he was on those, and I was just loved playing with him. And then I think I remember like seeing trailers for the Scorpion King or the Mummy, and like realizing. Holy crap! He's in <laughs> movies now, and I I think it all it uh, all culminated with uh, Fast and Furious Five. I think at that point, that's really when he became a phenomenon. You know, he became a brand rather than just uh, a wrestler or an actor. He's sort of this whole other thing. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's when he became this larger than life figure, and and his celebrity really took off. And if you're listening now, we'd love to know why you are listening to Rockcast. Why are you such a rockhead? So reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Rock Talk Pod as always, and leave us a comment of you know what is it that brings you to the Rock? Why? What is what is so fascinating about him to you? And with that, I think we should move on to the news where we break down Rock news of the week. And Charlie, I think that we've got some pretty interesting stuff this week to talk about. Yeah, uh, a few things. First and foremost, we uh, we got to talk about his host, uh, his hosting job of Saturday Night Live happened a couple of weeks ago. I think he did a pretty good job. What did you think? I thought he was hilarious, and apparently America thought so too. It was the highest rated SNL finale in six years. In addition to him just being hysterically funny, people tuned in to watch The Rock, uh, which yeah. which in, in and of itself is, is a fascinating piece of the reality we live in. 
<laughs> well, and he was also his, his fifth time to host the show. So he joined the SNL Five Timers Club. And I always love it when they do this. You know, uh, they do during their monologue, they usually bring out this like smoking jacket with this <laughs> embroidered five on it. And Alec Baldwin was there during the monologue to, to give it to him. And uh, during the monologue, uh, he really used it. Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson really used it almost uh, as a fake campaign announcement. And so he brought out Tom Hanks and said, I'm going to run with Tom Hanks 2020 Johnson Hanks <laughs> for president, you know, which I think was great. <laughs> Balloons came down from the rafters. Everyone was going crazy. I don't think there are two more likable men in America. Right, and that was the joke, right? Is that everybody can agree that these two people are amazing. So why don't we just bring the country together with <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks and Dwayne Johnson? And then moving past the monologue into the sketches, there was some really solid stuff. And some of it was was recurring, uh, like the WWE promo sketch that The Rock hosted with Bobby Moynihan, which that's one of my favorites where, you know, Bobby, they're both playing these WWE wrestlers doing a promo. Bobby Moynihan is saying the kind of, you know, I'm going to tear your limb from limb in the ring. And then The Rock hits with some really personal, really, really uh, upsetting <laughs> language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first time they did this sketch was, I, I think, when The Rock hosted back in 2010 or 2011. And yeah. I mean, it's just sort of a, a play on the silliness of the WWE and the insults that, you know, they hurl in, in WWE. They say, oh, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. I'm going to beat you down. But then The Rock's character, he ends up getting a little too personal. And this one, he <laughs> sets up this whole elaborate theory that they're actually twins and their mother was genetically tested on them. <laughs> and... Uh, what did he say? He said Moynihan was the DeVito of the twins, which right. is, of course, a reference to the, was it, 1980s movie Twins mm-hmm. with DeVito and Schwarzenegger. Right. And that's actually, that's a perfect, uh, a perfect. Uh, I would see that movie. That. I wish that they would remake that. I think Rock would be great in that movie. That's oh, a, apparently they're making a sequel with Schwarzenegger and DeVito to Twins. Stop. Yeah, called Triplets. <laughs> Hold on, keep, keep talking and I'll come back. Um, I, I can't handle that. Uh, but, you know, looking at the other the other sketches in this episode, there was a great one with Dwayne Johnson and Vanessa Bayer. It's, of course, Bayer's uh, last season of SNL, so it was kind of a uh, touching moment for fans of hers where they play two movie stars on set. They're trying to get through a take, and Vanessa Bayer cannot stop farting. It sounds absurd. It was absurd. It was also hilarious. <laughs> Here's the thing is everyone likes to talk and think that they're above fart jokes. But in actuality, nobody is. It's always funny. And I think that this sketch did a great job of taking a tried and true staple of comedy, fart jokes, and actually being able to center an entire sketch around it. So yeah, they're supposed to be like old-timey movie stars. Dwayne Johnson's like an up-and-comer. Vanessa Bayer is more of a, uh, a Hollywood starlet who's been in the business for a while. And she keeps calling her farts mistakes. So she'll be like, oh, dear me, I must have made a mistake. And I love Vanessa Bayer. And I'm so bummed that she's leaving Saturday Night Live because I think she's great. Yeah, she, she's, a, she's a, great, a great player for the team. And, and she actually anchors a lot of the sketches together. She's kind of been phased out over the last you know, couple of seasons. But everything that she's in does shine. So it's going to be sad to see her go. And then finally, though... There's a lot of controversy over this last sketch. You either love it or you cannot stand it. And it's this pretty much this well, should, super... should should we just go ahead and play the clip? Yeah, I think let's just let's just, let's just give we you a taste do of it what justice. we're We'll talk about it after the clip. Hi guys. Uh, <clears throat> I'm um, my name is Roy and uh, I um, and for the most evil invention in the world contest, I invented a, uh, a child molesting robot. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll speak up. Uh, it's a robot that is designed to molest children. And uh, I call it uh, Robo Chomo. Uh, you see, it's powered by solar rechargeable fuel cells and it costs pennies to manufacture. Uh, and it can theoretically uh, molest twice as many children as a human molester in, quite frankly, half the time. Um, 
So uh, do I win the contest? It seems like I, I win. It seems like I win. Oh my god! What's wrong? What's wrong? My most evil idea was a blizzard in July. Right. Well, I went in a slightly different direction with the assignment. You built a mechanical sex predator! Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's exactly, exactly right. This, this guy gets it. You get it. Oh my god! No, I don't! How? How do you even build a child molesting robot? Well, that's a, um, that's a great question. What you do is you start by building a regular robot, uh, then you molest it and hope that it continues to, uh, the cycle. Dear Lord Almighty! That's the most hideous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, well, thank you very much. You see, the shrink guy uh, uh, is with me all the way. Stop saying that! <laughs> You know, I want to remind you guys that uh, in Webster's Dictionary, defines evil as profoundly immoral. So, Jordan, what do you think about that? I, I, f I think it's hilarious. I can see, I can see where people are, are a little upset. I think it, it kind of touches that line that, that uh, SNL is, is, is so able to do. But I don't know. I find it, I find it hysterical. I think The Rock is, is great. I think the timing is great. And, yeah. you know, that's... if. This is this was a later sketch on the program, and if you can't do weird, semi-offensive sketches on SNL past you know midnight, I don't know I don't know what country we're living in. <laughs> well, yeah, and so many people complain that Saturday Night Live is not as funny as it was in the '70s and early '80s, and and then they want to complain about sketches like this that go really far, and you know they almost toe the line of being indecent. But I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty funny, you know, uh, all these cartoonish evil scientists coming up with freeze rays and shrink rays. Well, what is the most evil thing you can think of? You know, it's and I didn't think it was really making fun of molested children as much as it was making fun of the trope of like a superhero mad scientist. Right. Right. I, I think that honestly, I think it towed the line in a really creative way. And it is it's offensive, but I think it's more funny than offensive. I think it I think it wins. So you can check out those clips and more uh, from Saturday Night Live on NBC.com. And before we get to the movie, there is one more piece of news that I think we've got Charlie about a new rock picture. Yeah, uh, Baywatch came out uh, this past Thursday. To I wouldn't even call them mixed reviews. They're pretty across the board. They ripped this movie apart. Um, as of this recording, it has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, Oof. which the Tooth Fairy, which we'll be doing next week, had 18%. So I haven't seen Baywatch yet, but uh, this isn't really making me want to go see it. Um, it didn't even win the week at the box office. You know, that's one thing you can count on Dwayne Johnson movies to do, by and large, is deliver at the box office. But this is actually just took in $27 million on a projected $40 million, And it lost to the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And even last year, around this time, another Dwayne Johnson movie, Central Intelligence, came in and made $35 million on a much smaller budget. That's the one with uh, him and Kevin Hart. So it's a rare miss for the old rockster. Yeah, and we'll we'll keep tracking that. But one thing to note is that the fans are seemingly liking this movie, you know, despite the low box office total, despite the low critical reception on Rotten Tomatoes, it does have a seventy-two percent of a fan yeah. approval. So I think there's I think there's something there, which is usually what I look at when I go to Rotten Tomatoes and for a movie like this. You know, uh, a movie like this isn't necessarily going to work well with the critics. All right, and then also. Uh, I found out so that trip, uh, the twins sequel, it's going to be called Triplets and Eddie Murphy's going to be in it. Are you kidding me? That is the perfect comeback vehicle for Eddie Murphy. If you're listening to the show, Eddie Murphy, and I know you are, <laughs> that's a great decision. I applaud you. Great job, you. Eddie. <laughs> well, remember at the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary, it was like he did some stand up and it was like his first stand up in like 25 years or something like that. So he seems like he's getting out of the hole doing daddy daycare movies and more moving back into what I would call or consider quality comedy. I don't know. Hey man, I don't want to, this is a, this podcast is a safe space and I am a big daddy daycare fan and it's really <laughs> hurtful that you would say stuff like that. <laughs> so watch it, bub. Yeah. I'm more of like a nutty professor mm, guy. Mm, I mm. like the clumps, big clumps. Fan. <laughs> big clumps guy over here. So that's the rocks news of the week. 
But since we've got a lot of movie to get through, I think it's time for us to jump right into Fast and Furious 6, the 2013 action extravaganza featuring Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto, street racer, mechanic, and leader of the family, uh, as these movies would have you would have you family. believe. Paul Walker is an ex-police officer, Brian O'Connor, uh, who is a part of Dominic Toretto's family. It also stars Michelle Rodriguez as Letty, who is the love interest of Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto. A few other characters we'll get to, including Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris is in this movie, and of course, Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing Hobbs, who is a member of the United States Diplomatic Security Service, an organization slash entity I did not know existed until two minutes ago. But this movie <laughs> is insane. It's one of the best. If you know anything about Fast and Furious films, you know what you're in for. It's a lot of action. It's a lot of goofy one-liners. It's a lot. If I'm honest, though, I feel like this one gets forgotten about. So Fast and Furious fans, typically, they like movies 5, 6, 7, and 8. And I feel like 6 usually gets left out. So I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it at length because there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, and, and that's and it's. I'm glad you mentioned that because there really are two distinct eras of the Fast and Furious. It's like Old series. Testament, New Testament. Exactly. This is a, it's a very religious experience. It's like post The Rock and pre The Rock, of course, and that and that would be starting in Fast Five when The Rock enters this series, and up until then, it was actually very much grounded in some sense of reality. These are a bunch of street racers and cops. They're you know, the people they're taking down are, are gangs and other street racers. And in there's a very baffling trip to Tokyo, which makes no sense. I hate that movie. But ever <laughs> since then, from Fast 5 to Fast 8, these movies have taken on a life of their own, really coinciding with The Rock's inclusion. And yeah. they're more, we've, you know, we've, we've talked about this before just with ourselves about these movies, but they really become superheroes uh, from Fast 5 onward. And that's reflected over and over and over again in Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, I think that this really is the one where they become superhuman. But this is also the movie I feel like Dwayne Johnson sort of becomes the face of the franchise over even over Vin Diesel. And, you know, I think that's led to some bad blood in recent developments with 8, their famous uh, Instagram beef. Uh, but I think you could find the roots to that beef in this movie. I think you're absolutely right. You know, Vin Diesel is still very much the leader of of his, you know, we I keep calling them his family. It's kind of his 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 team, his crew, his yeah. crew. But this is the first movie where the Rock is the one really giving the orders and even Vin Diesel's character Dominic Toretto is taking them. So, you know, Dom is still very much the leader of the team, but Rock is really the leader of the movie if that makes sense. But let's just yeah. get in this. We need to cut this movie is going to be is a lot to get through. I want to try and break down the movie. first act. It is. It's comes in around two hours and ten minutes in the extended and that's cut. Not a, no. I think the extended cut's longer than that. Are you well? That's the that would explain cut's like another twelve minutes. Jeez. Well, that would explain why this movie felt so long last night going through. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But you have every to minute block of out it is time. necessary. But there's a lot of those minutes. <laughs> Exactly. But this movie, let's just, let's see how it starts off in act one. First, Brian O'Connor and his wife Mia have a child. This is a pretty big development in this movie. It's the first time that anyone is giving any kind of a sense that they might be, you know, becoming grounded individuals, uh, not focused on street racing and taking down bad guys. Two, Hobbs, played again by Dwayne Johnson, recruits Dominic Toretto and his crew to take down a team of highly trained mercenaries a team that includes Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, who was previously thought to be dead. Three, acting on intelligence gained from a member of Shaw's crew, and that's the, um, Shaw's the, the leader of that group of mercenaries, the family tracks him down to London. They then devise a plan to capture Shaw. Uh, Shaw ends up escaping in a flipped over car. The little, uh, it's the little, uh, it's like an F1, basically. It's like a little F1 go-kart situation. Yeah, it's a car that is built to flip other cars so it's so low to the ground that it basically looks like a ramp going down the street and so it's a great scene anyway we can move on but it's amazing at this time we see michelle rodriguez we have letty and dom meeting again for the first time dom is trying to you know win her back we we don't know why letty is is working with these mercenaries she shoots him 
the gang then finds out that Shaw has been stealing parts to create some sort of big hacking weapon type of a situation. So they have to stop him from doing that. Also, we learn that Letty has amnesia, which is why she has not remembered Dom. It's why she shot him. And I guess that's the reason why she's working with Shaw and these mercenaries. Yeah. So there's a few uh, a few huge scenes to get to in the first act. But I want to start out with pre-credits. We have a cold open into this movie. And it's a pretty great street race, friendly street race between Brian and Dominic Toretto. I think it's it's great. It kind of gets back to the roots of the franchise. I think, does Dom win? I don't even care because it's so amazing. But anyway, we find out that they're racing to uh, the hospital where Mia is about to, ha- uh, about to have a child. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. It's one of the greatest racing sequences in the films, uh, at least at the in the intro section. It, it's, it, it's besides Fast 8, which features this insane backwards, car-on-fire situation. In this, Cuba, which yeah. I feel like like all movies should take place in Cuba. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's really a great setting. This is also in Act 1. We... We remember that Dom is with Elena, and that's important for the sole reason that he's moved on from Letty at the start of this movie. And if you've watched Fast 8, we learn <laughs> later that Elena is the father of Dom's child. Right. So Elena, to explain Elena's character, we meet her in the previous movie. She uh, actually used to work with uh, Dwayne Johnson's character. She was sort of a police officer, a Brazilian police officer who fell in love with Vin Diesel. And so they get together at the end of that movie. She's still around in this movie. But one of my favorite things about this movie is as Paul Walker's character is running to go meet his child for the first time, Vin Diesel stops him and goes, Brian, just remember, (laughs) as soon as you walk through those doors, everything changes. (laughs) Or something something like that. Here's the thing. Why... Is Vin Diesel giving parenting advice? He doesn't have kids. Yeah, Vin Diesel doesn't have children. Vin Diesel is is honestly, I know he's the leader of this little family in quotes. He's sort of like the the father figure to all these people who are his age or older. <laughs> it's it's baffling. The only relation is that Mia is his younger sister. Still doesn't explain why he is is becoming is so involved in the birthing of this child. He will become a father. For another two movies. Maybe that's like foreshadowing. Maybe they planned that. No, they definitely didn't plan there's that. There's no way. They, I don't think there's a single ounce of planning in these movies. Um, um, there's the also... The flip car chase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The flip car chase is amazing. It's So it's what I mean incredible. by flip car is the stunt crew built this uh, bespoke custom car that looks like a big metal ramp. And the idea is that it could drive under cars and flip them over. Almost like, do you remember that show BattleBots back in the day? It looks like one of those things, Mm -hmm. but it's like sort of a cross between one of those and a Formula One car. It's really cool. And this is another moment where the the stunt work and the effects are mostly practical, which is insane for this movie. I mean, if you're watching this film, it's explosions, it's flipping. The CGI work in this movie and in in really the whole Fast and Furious series is always uh, they try to keep it at a minimum, but what's yeah, incredible about that's like about, a trademark of this series. Like they really uh, have uh, put pride into doing practical effects whenever necessary. Uh, and in this movie, that's it's really no exception. I also want to mention in Act One, it's our first sighting of Dwayne the Rock Johnson at minute four forty-five, and he's with MMA fighter Gina Carano, who is also in this film. She's pretty good. I thought she was fine. Yeah, yeah. She plays the Rock's... She plays Hobbs' assistant on the force, and she doesn't speak too much, but she kicks a lot of butt, which is is sort of what I expected from that character. Uh, She's pretty believable in that role. Do we want to talk about the Rock brutalizing Vin Diesel's doppelganger? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know what scene this is. What scene is this one? The Vin Diesel doppelganger? Oh, yes, the bald dude. Yes, holy crap. So the, the, the way that it's shot is leading because up until this point, Vin Diesel and The Rock uh, or The Rock has been chasing Vin Diesel. So they're on separate teams. And so the way that it's shot and it's set up makes you believe 
that the rock has finally caught Vin Diesel. So he goes into the interrogation room. There's a, uh, a bald, big white guy sitting away from him in a chair. You think it's Vin Diesel. He walks around. It's somebody else. And it's insane. The interrogation sequence that happens next is one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen. He's just trying to get information out of this bald dude. You know who is on Shaw? Who is on Shaw's team? Right. He's right. trying to figure out where Shaw is. You know, who do you work for? What? Where is Shaw? What's going on here? And in doing this, he throws this guy through a light fixture in the ceiling, like he's he like he weighs him ten pounds. He weighs ten pounds exactly. Like what is like? I but you know what is that? Nobody I believe bleeds in these movies though. No, That's there's, one thing there's I no noticed. blood. No blood. People drive cars off of cliffs. They are thrown through windshields. They jump off of tanks. Mm-hmm. They are thrown through ceilings in this case, and nobody seems to be affected by it, really. No, there's there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of death, but there's never blood, ever. It's unbelievable. Uh, weird rule of these movies. Um, and one of the things that I th- it pretty much starts with this scene because it's the Rock's first appearance in this movie. But <laughs> something to keep an eye out for when you watch it is the length of the Rock's goatee in this movie changes depending on what shot he's in. So he might be <laughs> talking to somebody and the camera goes back and forth between two people. And you might notice that the Rock's goatee changes length almost constantly. And there's a scene later on in the movie where he has no goatee and then suddenly <laughs> in the next scene it's back again it's un- it's amazing that's brilliant and for that... as much care as they put into doing practical effects uh, apparently the makeup budget wasn't there for them yeah someone buy the rock a, a razor with a trimmer setting <laughs> this is such an avoidable, avoidable here's the error. thing though I, i'm not a huge fan of the goatee what do you think about it i think you know what it, i i like a hairless rock i like a hairless bald oiled up like a giant oiled muscly baby. Oh my gosh. That's the way I like my rock. <laughs> like a huge well, that, fetus with muscles. They sort of uh, break the fourth wall when Tyrese says, you know, later on, do I smell baby oil? It's kind of like a callback to uh, the joke that wrestlers always have to be lathered up in oil. Yeah, and, and it, it's hilarious. It's They keep that joke running through this movie. And it's he's definitely... This actually, to me, was one of his least sweaty roles. Yeah, well, there's a few scenes where he is glistening. But just to keep going in the plot, I think we should probably talk about um, how easy it was for The Rock to convince Vin Diesel to work for him. Because up until this point, they are like mortal enemies. And so uh, Vin Diesel has been hiding out after the big heist in Fast and Furious 5, it seems to me that their life, that Vin Diesel's life is amazing. He lives in a big house on the coast with Elena. He gets to do what he wants every day. He wakes up, he pops a, a, a cap off of a Corona, and he works on engines. To me, this seems to be the happiest that Vin Diesel is in any of these movies. But yet, The Rock can show up and convince him to get back into the game based on one photo? Well, but you have to remember, he loves Letty. Letty is his real true love and if guess, you are forgetting he... that they are ride and die <laughs> going back to fast one these two there that is like the core as much as letty in these movies michelle rodriguez is great but she really never gets anything really substantial to do which is kind of criminal given there's been eight of these movies but we are to we are asked to believe that she is is dom's anchor and so i actually completely believe that he would be willing to throw away the entire comfort of his life to go find her and to go make it right with, with Well, The Letty. Rock shows him one picture and says, this is Letty. It was taken last week. And Vin Diesel's like, okay, I'm on board. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> she's been dead for years. All you have to do is show, you know, uh, show Vin Diesel one picture to convince him that she's alive. She's I don't know. family. <laughs> I guess. And then I really liked the scene where they're, putting the team back together. You know, Vin Diesel calls uh, Han and Giselle. Mm-hmm. He calls mm-hmm. uh, Ludacris and Tyrese. And you kind of get a glimpse into their lives after they've uh, made like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, the, the where are they now sequence is really is really fun. And of course, you have Han and Giselle in Tokyo. Han's kind of talking about wanting to settle down. 
you have Ludacris is is sort of like a Robin Hood and and also now he's he's made his full transition from auto mechanic to like elite hacker yeah as the as shown by the way in which he somehow hacks an ATM and makes money spray out to all the people in the town or something so i so the bit of trivia on that is that uh apparently the notes that were coming out based on the currency of whatever the country that was in they were only like ones and fives. <laughs> so, so he's a Robin Hood, but he's a cheap Robin Hood. Right. You know, he's not going to real. he's not going to spoil these people. So, but the gang, they ultimately get together and it kind of leads us to the very end of act one, which is Hobbs is with the gang. He not only shows them the picture of Letty and says that Letty's alive. He also says, if you help me capture Shaw... I will pardon you for all of your crimes. And if you watch Fast Five, you know that these guys are responsible for like billions of dollars of damage. Yeah, and they've been on the run since the end of Fast Five. So essentially that kicks off the second part of this movie, which is trying to capture Shaw and uh, also, I guess, trying to track down Letty is sort of the the secondary motivation there. Right, they're going to get Letty back, but also stop Shaw. And so Act Two is really, you know, we mentioned the flip car scene. The gang is all tracking down Shaw based on that. It also leads us, you know, they have to they have to get cars that can't be hacked. One another thing we learn from from the Shaw chase is that he is in possession of these gadgets that when shot or placed on another car, they have the ability to, you know, shut the brakes down or or jerk the steering wheel to the left or yeah, right. Yeah, completely take over the systems of whatever car they're attached to. And so essentially the gang needs cars that don't have, no have computers these in. computers. Yeah, so they're looking for kind of older older cars that are still fast and everything. It leads us to this very weird scene where Ludacris and Hobbs go to this auction. I don't want to get too much into that because there's so much more for us to go down, but there's a very weird scene where they convince the auctioneer or they pretty much buy out all the cars in the auction. And they take this... After sn- the Okay, here's the thing though. After the auctioneer insults them, so it's like almost like a Pebble Beach concourse type of situation where these like, <laughs> there are a bunch of like priceless antique cars and they're walking looking at all the cars and this butler guy who's sort of running the show says, oh, you're part of the kitchen staff. You must be because one of you is black and one of you is wearing, he calls them functional clothes. So he, he, the rock doesn't look fancy enough to be there and Ludacris is not a is not rich i guess is what he thinks and so he insults them and so to teach this butler a lesson they buy all the cars and upon delivery they basically force this butler guy to strip down and i don't get like i don't understand why the butler does this he takes they make him take all of his clothes off they they already bought all the cars what does he have to lose there's no more like i don't understand why he feels that he needs to does he think that they're gonna beat him up but if he was afraid of that, like if if he was afraid of their size, he should have been afraid from the beginning. I just don't. This whole scene, it's like it's like an extra fifteen minutes in this movie that I don't understand why they're there. I wish that they just got right to like buying all the cars. That would have been to me a baller move. Or they go to the auction. The cars. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because Give us a stealing rock, scene. Yeah, the the rock mentions like twice to Ludacris. Oh, you better not think about stealing these cars. So that's kind of what it leads you to believe is going to happen that Ludacris is going to steal the cars behind Rock's back, but that's not really what happens. Instead, you get this weird middle-aged British man stripping down. Yeah, and and it's it's a baffling choice. But we should check in on what the rest of the gang is doing, and that's Tyrese's character, Roman, Han and Giselle, and Gina Carano's character. They all go to this garage to sort of find out, you know, the technology the behind the flip car... And at the same time that's happening, Dom and Brian are tracking down. They found a bullet from their last – the one that Dom – that Letty shot Dom with. They're tracking down where that bullet was made and this is the part of the movie. Like every Fast and Furious movie, they start to intersect all these different plot lines. It's basically what all of Act 2 is, is getting the gang closer to Shaw and getting the gang closer to Letty because yeah, there's so many different together. things that happen here. It's really impossible to – I mean we could spend 40 more minutes talking about every single one of these sequences. But really it's – I mean it's really they, – they, they get themselves in a position that they you know they know where Shaw is going to be. 
they know where Letty's going to be. Basically, it's an, it's an excuse to get them all together so that Shaw can ambush them, and then we get a great fight sequence. Yeah, and the fight scene, the fight sequence is great. In the tube. Yeah, I think that's a great. It's just worth worth a mention. It's you don't really get to see these guys go hand to hand combat all that often. Not out. I mean, outside of like the Rock and Vin Diesel. So this year, a lot of the secondary characters kind of get a chance to shine. Uh, so now we get <laughs> my favorite character, Han. You know, you get to see Han and Tyrese go up against this one like jujitsu guy, uh, and they just. They, they kind of get their asses beaten. Yeah, they get completely wrecked, which is – it's funny to me because, you know, one thing that we know from our research in these films is that the main characters, at the very least, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel have in their contracts stipulations that they are not allowed to lose a fight in these movies. So I think it's interesting that you have a sequence where two members of the main team, you know, they definitely lose. They 100% lose this fight. Somebody's got to lose. And contractually, the only people that are allowed to are these secondary characters. (laughs) And, you know, while they're having this fight, we're also watching a really, really great action sequence between Gina Carano and Michelle Rodriguez. This right here is the best fight sequence, maybe in any of the movies. I really like the one with uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey and Seven. But this one is really good, Um, especially the one stunt where... Uh, I think Gina Carano tackles uh, Michelle Rodriguez down a flight of stairs over a guardrail. I mean, it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. It's fast-paced. And it's actually, in a weird way, it looks very real. Yeah. This is probably one of the more realistic parts of this movie. And it's a great moment. This, This also, this leads us to, you know, we have some problems with the end. There's an end reveal in this movie. Considering we might as well talk about it right now. Yeah, so, yeah, it doesn't matter when we reveal these things. No, the plot does not matter in these movies. So at the end of this movie, and we're, we'll, we'll get through Act 3, but at the end of this movie, it is revealed that Gina Carano has been working the entire time as an undercover agent for Shaw. Let's move on now to Act 3. There's still a lot of movie to get through, and this is really where the movie completely comes alive. Uh, and you have some of the greatest action sequences in the entire Fast and Furious series. Yeah, uh, actually, my favorite is about to come up. So uh, plot, plot, like I said, doesn't really matter. But anyway, the gang finds <laughs> out that Shaw's crew is going to intercept a military convoy on a highway in Spain to get the last piece of his super weapon that he's building, which is a microchip. So they go to stop it and turn. they end up going on a high-speed chase with a tank because apparently Shaw's crew has a tank. And it's, it's really great action. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. You get a lot of um, people fly from car to car outside of their car. Yeah, the physics in this movie, bef- this is more than any other Fast and Furious film, are grounded in no kind of reality. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's great. I love it. I have no complaints. No, people fly in this film and they're better off for it. And we just have to get to it. This this insane iconic scene between Letty and and Vin Diesel. I kind of want to play the clip of the okay. entire sequence just so we'll just we can explain what happens afterwards, but I really think that you all need to hear this because yeah. it's an iconic amazing moment. So let's let's take a listen. Okay, Toretto. Here's your girl. And your happy ending. Lemmy! Okay, so that scene of which you just heard is Letty is standing on a tank and Dom and Paul Walker's character have created some sort of anchor from another car from which they've attached to the tank with a 
what's it like a spear? I'm blanking on even what like a yeah, trident. It, it, it's like uh, I <laughs> Ludacris makes a point of calling it high tensile titanium, <laughs> uh, which I guess is just so he sounds smart. Anyway, so uh, Vin Diesel sees Michelle Rodriguez on the tank and knows that the tank is about to be. Uh, about to come to a standstill it's about to hit the end basically think about a dog on a leash and he thinks that that dog is about to hit the end of that leash and fling michelle rodriguez off of the tank and over the bridge so what he does what vin diesel does (laughs) is take his car opens up his door intentionally crashes it and somehow it's able to fling him across the gap between the two lanes of traffic over a chasm over a chasm catch michelle rodriguez who is going the other direction redirect both of their body masses into another car to break their fall and i mean it's it is insane it's it's even insaner than it sounds I mean, the, the just the the sheer force with which these two individuals would, would be flying in the air they would be so dead on impact. I mean, with each so other, dead. even in the yes. even in the incredible scenario where they actually are able to somehow run Me. into each other midair, they're dead you know already. Happen? Yeah, they would bounce off each other and both fall off of the bridge. Yeah, they'd fall five thousand feet into the ravine below. Um, <laughs> but they get up after landing on this car without a scratch. Vin Diesel. Uh, isn't walking with a limp. I'm no, nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. Like we said, this is the this is their superhero transitional movie. This, I mean, if 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 nothing else can convince you, this this scene would be it. And it's it's beautiful. It's iconic. It <laughs> in many ways is one of the great moments of this franchise and probably of the careers of both Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez. So Vin Diesel's crew captures Shaw and his team. And they're under arrest, but because Shaw's team has already arranged for Brian's wife, who has not really been in this movie that much until this point, uh, she they they inform Vin Diesel's team that they actually have captured her. So unless they let go of Shaw and his crew, they're going to kill her. So uh, reluctantly, they do. You find out that Gina Carano's character uh, was a double agent the whole time. Shaw, with the microchip... Uh, and Mia are going to escape on a plane. So that's where we pick up maybe the most audacious and ridiculous stunt scene uh, of the movie. Yeah, we essentially have a plane you know, with Shaw and company. They're trying to take off to presumably escape into the sunset. Meanwhile, you have the entire Fast and Furious team in hot pursuit in just cars. Just driving yeah. along a runway, chasing down the plane. They're like Dodge Chargers. They're like cars <laughs> that you see every day. And apparently, so the way that uh, Shaw has worked this out is the plane uh, is going to come in on the runway, land on the runway, but keep going and drop its cargo uh, gate so that they can drive their cars up into the belly of the plane and then it'll take off again before it hits the end of the runway. That's where we're at. So uh, you have Shaw and his team in cars chasing this plane that's just landed, and then Vin Diesel and his team chasing Shaw. But they're doing it in normal cars, and apparently the takeoff and landing speed of this particular plane is somewhere around 170 miles an hour. <laughs> and and it, the, the runway must be infinitely long because this scene lasts all of 15 minutes. It's, yeah, oh, 15 minutes is being generous. I think it's like 25 minutes straight of these people <laughs> going 150 plus miles an hour, shooting guns at each other, jumping. Like I said, people fly out of cars and into other cars with such ease oh, in this my movie God. that it becomes a legitimate form of transportation. Yeah, the, and- the, the jumping into different cars is a move that is used at least six times in this film. Yeah, at least. Um, so basically, uh, you get Shaw's team. They get up in the plane, but not before Vin Diesel and The Rock also get up there. Uh, they have a fight. Vin Diesel's able to save the day, save Mia, 
grab the computer chip and drive through the front of the plane as it explodes. Yeah, and this is a a really poignant series of moments wherein, you know, we've mentioned Han and and, and his girlfriend Giselle several times in this in this film. Who we both love. Giselle is is fabulous. She's probably one of the more uh, believable badass characters in this film. Her death total is actually higher than most of the other members of the team. So she's kind of a cold-blooded killer. (laughs) Well, that's how she came in to the series, right? She was in Fast Five, right, on the bad guys team. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I, she, I guess she does have a like an actual history of that. Well, that's what this franchise does. It makes bad guys from previous films and it brings them in to this family that Vin Diesel has. If they do, I mean, it's a pretty amazing job. But eventually, they're going to have too many characters because they're still doing it to this day. Yeah, and, and that's you know in Fast Eight, as we've seen, uh, we see the villain of Fast Seven become a core member of the team in Fast 8. So they're very quickly recycling bad guys, good guys. The the lines are really blurred, I have to say. But this movie, that's pretty much the the end. You know, they saved Vin Diesel, Dom saves the day. Shaw, it should be noted, flies out of the plane. He's he is flung from this plane as it is is it's taking off and presumably is killed until right, we learn Right, that's what we're led to believe. Right, and and that all goes away immediately at the start of Fast 7. But, you know, the guy was flung from a plane going 180 miles an hour into a, a <laughs> cement runway. So all, by all practical measure, he should be killed. But since this is Fast and Furious, no one's ever truly dead. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully for Han. Well, should we talk about this post-credits? What happens? Um, the barbecue scene. Just to kind of tie up the, oh, the right, end right, here. Right. Because this is a Fast and Furious movie, so we have to have a family barbecue. Yeah, no, no F and F movie is complete without a family end of movie family barbecue. Uh, they all meet up. It's The Rock. It's Dom. It's Letty is there. Han is is also who sad. still has amnesia. So as far <laughs> so that is a a, a running uh, storyline in this movie is Vin Diesel trying to get Letty to remember her past life. And she does not get there until the next movie. So in this, in Fast and Furious 6, she decides to join Vin Diesel's crew, go to this barbecue, sit on his lap, and become his new girlfriend. All because he said, uh, this was your life before you had amnesia. And she, like, takes him at his word. It's insane. Yeah, apparently all it takes is, is flying across a bridge to catch somebody and slamming into a, a car. For them that's to fall true. back in love with you. I guess that's true. If that happened to me, <laughs> I'd probably do the same thing. There's also, I just want to note, and I think we have to play the clip of it. There is a line in this sequence where Hobbs is entering the barbecue. And Roman, Tyrese Gibson's character, sees him coming. And like we said, the baby oil thing has been a, a running gag this entire movie. And he goes, you better hide your baby oil because he sees... Well, why don't we just play this? Yeah, let's just play it. Y'all need to just hear this. We're going to do it. Tokyo. Yeah, it's just something I got to do. You know we got your back. Whenever you need us. Hey, Mia, you better hide your baby, all. I'm just playing. (laughs) You better hide that big-ass forehead. (laughs) So that's hilarious. That, I mean, if you hear the spit in the background, that's ludicrous having a complete spit take, spraying Corona all over the place. And that's a real reaction. Uh, <laughs> because look, apparently the rock ad-libbed this, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a complete Rocky original, which again, you know, you, you get the sense in so many of these movies that he's ad-libbing some of these, of these ridiculous one-liners. And in this one, it's true. He's, he completely makes up on the fly and it's, it's probably one of the funnier lines of the movie. And, and I love this because Tyrese, his character, is so cocky and he's so sure of himself that to be knocked down a couple of pegs, and this is another running joke in this movie uh, about Tyrese's forehead. Ludacris uh, makes mention of it earlier in the movie. So this is a nice callback to that. And just for the just you know the fact that The Rock was able to ad-lib uh, this line in a, uh, as a callback to a scene in which he was not in. 
previously in the movie is amazing. Right. It's just it's it's a it's an incredible awareness of the film. Shows that he did his homework and he read the whole script, not just the scenes he was in. Good job, Rock. We appreciate your. your (laughs) I'm sure he really needed that. (laughs) But we should. And I know you mentioned that after the credit scene. Let's 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 talk about that for a second or two because it is. This made me geek out when I saw it in theaters. I lost it. So just as a background, in these movies, in this franchise, there are two different timelines. There's the timeline with Vin Diesel and his family, and then you have a separate timeline with Han and his adventures in Tokyo. Well, the reason why that happened is, in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, it's the third movie in the franchise. Um, It has none of the original characters. It was sort of meant as a spinoff to this franchise. So in that movie, uh, it's it's about a, a, a separate character who meets Han but Han dies at the end in a car crash so uh, Han ended up becoming after the release of the movie he became a fan favorite and the producers wanted to bring him back for future movies but couldn't really figure out a good way a clean way of doing so so what they did uh, is called retroactive continuity or retconning they said after the fact well why don't we make Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift happen in the year 2016 so uh, they were able to bring him back in Fast 5 and 6. So, at at the end of Fast and Furious 6 is where the two timelines converge again. We see the same scene again from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift at the end of Fast and Furious 6. So we see Han die. But the bonus that we get, who kills him, Jordan? You get uh, your boy Jason Statham, <laughs> oh Deckard Shaw is in this movie. I when I saw that Jason Statham was going to be the next Fast and Furious, I pooped my pants to this movie theater <laughs> because there is no one. And I mean no actor, no living actor besides I would say maybe Nick Cage who would be a more perfect choice to be a villain in these movies. He is amazing. Honestly, after we're done with Rock Talk, we should do a podcast on Jason Statham because he is so compelling and he's so good at what he does. A lot of people criticize him because they think he's one note, but I don't care. He does that note so well, so much better than anyone else. Yeah, he does it's the amazing. heck out of that note and he's beautiful at it. And and we're going to get to Fast 7 and, and Fast 8 eventually and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, his majestical performances. But rest assured, it is a, it's an incredible moment. And I have to say, this was one of the only times I've been in a movie theater and a post credit scene literally made it the audience cheer. That's how <laughs> much people geeked out at the end of, of Fast 6. Um, really, really cool movie. Uh, really, really great ending. So do we want to get into Rock Talk Superlatives? Yeah, I think we should, I think we should make, that, make that switch now into our, our final thoughts and superlatives. Uh, and our first, as always, is sweatiest scene. Uh, which which scene in this movie, Charlie, do you think The Rock was the juiciest? <laughs> so, uh, he, The Rock is pretty much at a constant level of dripping wet in this movie. There wasn't a certain Me scene that stood out. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> there was not a certain scene that stood out to me. But uh, So, what I did here is I chose The Rock, when he drives his... M- huge car he's constantly like gripping the steering wheel really tight and you can see his forearms just so sweaty well and one of my favorite things is he's also this is the time where his goatee completely disappears (laughs) so i would like to nominate this for for sweatiest scene we'll upload this picture to facebook uh so you guys can see what we're talking about but it's pretty great i have to agree with that i think the i think the sweaty forearms are really one of the highlights of this film. That's a trademark of Dwayne Johnson is sweaty forearms. <laughs> I want to, I want to go around making that my own trademark too. <laughs> I'll do sweaty elbows. Mm. That'll be mine. Uh, let's, let's look at now best one liner. And I know there, there's a lot to choose from in this movie. Uh, and I think one of my favorites is, is that when we played a credit for it, the barbecue, but there's another one that for both of us completely stuck out as being one of the best lines of this film. Yeah. When Vin Diesel is being convinced by The Rock to uh, stop Shaw, uh, uh, The Rock utters one of a really, really great line that, of course, 
nobody in their right mind has uh, has ever uttered. And it's something that we've talked about before. Sometimes The Rock's characters say these crazy one-liners as if they're in the vernacular. <laughs> as if everyone says them all the time. But they're insane. So this one is, let me do it in my best rock voice. Mm, here we go. All right. The last place I want to be is on your front doorstep selling Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> that wasn't bad. That was yeah, not bad. Yeah, the pacing there, very, yeah. very correct. Well, he um, talks so fast in this movie. Yeah, this whole that's that, he talks a mile a minute uh, from start to finish here, which I love. But it makes lines like that, which again is a phrase that has never been uttered before in the history of humanity. He makes it sound like it's something that people are saying every other day. Uh, yeah. it, it's beautiful. But when he's not talking, he's throwing people through ceilings. And that's our third award. Our third superlative is Big Rock, Little World. And I think that the only scene that that works in this movie for this award is where he is, uh, quote unquote, interrogating the British Vin Diesel. Yeah. And and we touched on that briefly, but he just decimates this dude, just throwing him with ease across a room. It's. It's really the kind of fight scene that you you want to see from The Rock. And in this movie, you don't really get too much Dwayne Johnson fighting. You do get a little bit at the very end, but he's up against basically his own counterpart in Shaw's gang. So it's it's kind of these two huge guys fighting. doesn't basically, really fit our superlative. Basically, this is like, well, we really want Dwayne Johnson to fight somebody, but we don't want that person to fight back at all. <laughs> Like, what would happen if you didn't fight back against The Rock? And this is what would happen. You get thrown through, like, concrete pillars. Just just gorgeous. Just gotta so, love it. So, when you're taking a look at, you know, The Rock's IMDb page, where does Fast and Furious 6 rank for you? How many Rocks out of 10 would you give The Rock's performance? Not just, not the movie, but The Rock's performance. It, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to say in terms of his pure performance because while he is a very interesting character and, and he does, you know, as the story has it, this is really the beginning of him taking control of the gang. I don't necessarily find his specific performance to be compelling. Well, it is compelling, but but to be extraordinarily compelling. I wish there were more one-liners. He's not as central as a movie like Pain and Gain uh, I actually would say that this He's is third pro- build, yeah. and that's about right. I think this is probably a five five rocks out of ten. It's it's not a bad performance, but yeah. I don't think he does enough to make it remarkable. I'm gonna give it a little higher. I'm gonna say seven out of ten, and I'll tell you why. Mm. So, in Fast and Furious Five, that's where The Rock came into this franchise, um, and so uh, his character was still being developed. And I think it didn't get until Fast and Furious 6 that it became fully uh, a fully-fledged character. He was able to kind of take it and run with it. Because in Fast 7, he's not really... Even though you get great moments like him flexing out of the cast, you don't. he's not in it that much. He's in, the, in the movie, he's in the hospital a lot. Um, and then in Fast 8, that, as we saw... He sort of his character changes. It becomes almost more of a comedic relief, which I'm not really a huge fan of when it comes to the rock in Fast and Furious movies. So I think that uh, Fast and Furious Six really is the best rock performance in a Fast and Furious movie. So I'm going to say it's a seven rocks out of ten. Wow, see, see more so than Fast Seven. See, that's a uh, that's we're going to have a good conversation on Fast Seven then. When um, we get to it, when we get yeah. when we make our way to seven, there's just a there's just so many great things, so many great things in store for this for this show. But that just about does it for us on Rock Talk for this episode. This was a lot of fun. Like we said, this is one of our favorite films, and I, I love this movie. I could not recommend it enough. Go watch it. It's fun. It's dumb. It's good action. There's a little bit of romance in there, but don't watch it for the romance. That's not <laughs> if you're watching it for the romance, you're watching for the wrong reasons. And, uh, but as always. You can listen to Rock Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at rocktalkpod.com. And always remember to like and subscribe to the show. And on the next episode of Rock Talk, we will be taking a look at the 2010 Canadian-American comedy, The Tooth Fairy, where Dwayne Johnson plays 
a tooth fairy both on the ice and in the sky as a tooth fairy that takes teeth. Yeah, and you're going to hear a lot of chanting. If you like chanting and you like Dwayne The Rock Johnson in tights and wings, you're going to freaking love the tooth fairy. So join us next week. I can't wait to take a dive into that one. Until next time, this is Rock Talk.